So welcome, and uh, those online, thanks for joining us, whether you're live online or just watching after the fact. Those of you in-house, thanks for being here. We are going through the book of Ephesians, and Paul, interestingly enough, addresses, so he's talked about our relationship in a, in a husband-wife relationship in a marriage. He's talked about a family relationship with parents and children. He talked about a workplace relationship, and now he jumps to a very interesting discussion. He jumps to the spirit world. And he basically says, there is another dimension to life. We have the physical dimension that we can all, you know, our senses can see and pick up and smell and hear and all of that. But he says, there's another dimension. There's a spiritual dimension. You can't see it, but it's just as real as the physical. And he wants to instruct us on that. Now, this is very interesting because as Paul wrote this letter to the, the Christians in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, he's writing it to us today. And he's basically saying, the last thing I want to say to you is this. And he basically is saying, prepare for the spiritual battle. And that's what we want to look at. Now, there's a lot of uh, misinformation and misunderstanding about the spirit world. And uh, there's a lot of people who say, well, I'm very spiritual and uh, they are, and they believe a lot of different things. And, but I want to read something that C.S. Lewis wrote. So C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and in there he wrote kind of what he's going, the quote I'm going to read, it basically says, the enemy, the Satan, loves us to be confused, Christians to be confused in this area. And this is what he says. This is from C.S. Lewis' The Screwtape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall into about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialistic or a magician with the same delight. And so Lewis basically is saying this. He's saying the enemy loves it when you see a demon behind every bush or when you don't believe in demons at all. He's very good with both of those views. And so we want to talk about this because Paul talks about it, because Paul basically says you need to be prepared. Because if you're not prepared and you're in the middle of a battle, you're a sitting duck. And so we don't want to be sitting ducks. We want to be prepared for battle. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So... Um, some of you, I'm going to assume that whether you're in-house or whether you're watching online, that there is confusion as far as this whole thing of the devil and demons and all this other stuff. What, what power do they have? What power don't they have? So I'm going to give you a very quick, very big, you know, just kind of a general overview of what the Bible teaches about the devil and the demons. Um, so the first thing is this, the devil or Satan and by the way, you should call, he should be called the Satan because Satan isn't his name, it's his title. He is the accuser. And that's literally what Satan means, accuser. He is the accuser or he is the, the one who is uh, against, okay? He is against. Uh, he is in opposition, okay? And so he's the opposer. That's his that's what Satan means, the opposer. And when you see it, when you see it in the New Testament, you always have an article in front of Satan, the opposer. And now we don't translate it. We don't call, we don't say the Satan. The reason we don't say it is because it's not good English, but it's not his name. It's his title. It's what he does. And so what do we know about him? Well, he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient and he's not omnipotent, meaning he's not everywhere. He's not all powerful and he doesn't know everything. 
Okay? It's not, he's not the anti-God, okay? That's not who he is. He's a created fallen angel. Um, and Satan uh, was the originator of sin, and he's seeking to destroy every work of God, including uh, binding people like his followers and, and, and destroying the propagation of the gospel in his kingdom. In other words, Satan and the demons are against everything that God is trying to do in this world. And he wants to keep you down. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to, to be ineffective. And he wants you to be muted. And uh, this is very interesting. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, some of you wonder, why in the world, when I share the gospel, when I tell people about Jesus, they don't get it? My friends, my family, the people I work with, my neighbors, they don't get it. Why is that? Because their minds and their hearts and their eyes are blinded. And one of the most powerful things you could ever do for a friend, for a neighbor, for a family member is pray for them. God, take the scales off their eyes. Shh, open up their hearts. Help them to see. Help them to understand the gospel because they're blind. Uh, another thing about demons, demons uh, are on the, uh, are, they're on a sovereign leash of God. They have limited power. Uh, if you read the book of Job, it's very interesting because Satan comes, the Satan comes into the accuser, uh, the, the deceiver. He comes into the presence of God and they basically have this discussion about Job and you can read about it in the book of Job. And essentially what, what God says in the, the two times that they meet, he says, you can go this far but no further. You can go this far but no further. So Satan, the devil, is on a leash and he is not able to do anything he wants, anywhere he wants, with anyone he wants. Um, so, we have to understand that. Um, he, doesn't, he can't read your minds and he doesn't know the future. He's not omniscient, okay? Um, number th uh, this is the last one I want to say. All evil is not from the devil and demons. Uh, we live in a fallen world. The Bible tells us very clearly we live in a fallen world. Genesis 3 says basically that there was a curse that can't, fell on mankind, it fell on the earth. You read the book of Romans, Paul says in Romans, the earth is groaning under the curse, waiting for the day to be set free. Now, now what does the curse mean for the earth and for our environment? It means there'll be earthquakes, there'll be natural disasters, there'll be disease, there'll be all those different things. And we just experienced a year of that, right? This is part of the fall. This is the effects of the fall, okay? So that's part of what's going on in the world. But then there's an evil within me. And there, there is, there's a potential within every person to do things. And you know that if you're honest with yourself. There have been times you've said or you've done things. And you've looked back and you say, well, how did I get there? How could I say that? I'm, I'm ashamed of myself that I said or I did that. How did I get there? Well, the, the, you know, the, the idea there is that there's a, there's a capacity within you to do terrible things. But then what Paul's talking about, this is what we're going to look at today. He says there's a system. There's a, there's, a, there's a spirit world that is opposed to everything that God is trying to do. 
And he wants to hold you down. He wants to destroy people. He wants to wreak havoc. He wants to bring despair and discouragement and disappointment. And, and, and we can play into that if we're not careful. So that's what we want to look at. And so that's where we want to spend the rest of our time. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Let me read it, and then we'll talk about it, okay? Ephesians 6, verse 10. I think it's interesting that Paul ends his letter and says, you have to prepare for this unseen battle. You can't see it, but it's there. And if you don't see it, if you don't respond to it, you're a sitting duck. You don't want to be a sitting duck today, right? I don't want to be. All right. Uh, look at it. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that's meaning the, the material world, the, what we can see with our senses, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God that you may, so that when you, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take on uh, up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So three quick points. They're very basic. Number one, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual battle. Paul says your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and forces in the world, in the air. He's talking about the spiritual dimension of life that we can't see, but it's just as real. He's saying it's a reality. There's, there's things going on. Now, the question you might be asking is, why am I in this battle? Why am I in the middle of this spiritual battle? Well, simply this. Paul writes this, and we, write, we, we, we covered this early on in, our book, in the book of Ephesians. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, as for you, he's talking to Christians, the Christians of Ephesus. He's talking to the Christians here in this room. He's talking to the Christians that are watching right now. Uh, he's saying, as for you, you were dead in your trespass, transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And Paul says this in Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. So this, understand what's going on here. You used to be part of the world, the dark world. You, you used to be darkness, Paul says, but now you're light. When you came out of the darkness and you came into the light, you declared war against the prince of the power of darkness. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to be totally ineffective. He wants you not to believe in him. He doesn't care whether you believe him or not. If you don't believe in him, that's good. If you're over, over, uh, over influenced by him and you worry that he's there everywhere, he's good with that too. If you're afraid of him, he's good with that too. Paul's basically saying, don't be surprised. Be prepared. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. There's a battle going on for your soul every day. And there's an enemy who wants to influence the direction of your soul. Uh, let me give you a quick example. 
as Jesus was gaining popularity, he looked at his disciples and he said, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John, some say you're one of the prophets, some say you're Elijah. And then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven. This is, you're speaking the very words of, of, of God. And then it says in the text, very interesting, it says, and then Jesus went on to tell how he must suffer and die. And Peter comes up to him, and and I'm going to summarize what Peter says, but essentially Peter says, over my dead body, no one's going to lay a hand on you. And Jesus, you know what he says? He says, get behind me, Satan. There's Peter, right, being influenced by this dark spiritual world after, right after he's confessed the words of God from heaven. And see, this is what Paul's saying. You can be used either by the power of heaven or the power of of this world, the power of darkness. And that's how you can be influenced if you're not careful. And we're going to talk more about that. So that's the first point. You're in a spiritual battle. Number two, you need to look beyond the battle. You need to look beyond the battle. We often see that the conflict we're having in our family, in our marriage, in our relationships, in our workplace, is, or school or whatever, it's, it's this interpersonal conflict. And it is, but there's other things going on. There's agitators. There's people, there's powers that are, you know, you get in a crowd and sometimes people say things or something and then it escalates. There's a spiritual force that wants to escalate division and, dis- and, and f- arguments and conflict. Here's what the enemy doesn't want you to do. Just so you know, this is what the enemy, this is what the enemy is fighting against in your life right here. This is what it is. The enemy doesn't want you to humble yourself. The enemy doesn't want you to repent and confess your sin. The enemy doesn't want you to assume the best in others. The enemy doesn't want you to forgive early and completely. The enemy doesn't want you to serve others rather than yourself. The enemy doesn't want you to be generous with your money. The enemy doesn't want to use your gifts for God's kingdom. The enemy doesn't want you to hold your tongue when you're angry and you've been offended. The enemy doesn't want you you to speak the truth with love. The enemy doesn't want you to show grace and mercy even when it's undeserved. The enemy doesn't want you to do that. The enemy wants you to do the opposite of that. That's what the enemy wants. And when you allow that in your life, you're allowing the enemy to direct your life and control your life. You see, we must see that both the corporately and personally, there are spiritual forces at work, and that's what Paul's saying, that are going to try to agitate and bring division and bring conflict and to divide people. That's what the enemy wants. And boy, I'll tell you what, I have seen the enemy have a heyday this last year, the Christian community. We've allowed the enemy to, to, to direct our lives You know, I've said this before, the enemy wants to play you like a fiddle. You give him strings. You give him the string of anger, and he just plays it. You give him the string of fear and anxiety, and he just plays it. And you find more things to be fearful and anxious about, or angry about, or you give him the string of fear or lust, and he plays that. And here's what's going on. What'll happen is you, you, you start having anxiety and fear, and then all of a sudden, 
the enemy will energize that. And all of a sudden, you're seeing more things that get you more upset. Or you get angry and, and you, you allow it to go escalate more and more and more. Some of you, if you're honest, you would say, I have gone to places that I have no idea how I got there. It just started out as a little thing. It blew way up. How'd that happen? The enemy just kept cheering you on, and you became a pawn. You gave him the strings and play it. You got to pull those strings back and say, that's not going to be who I am. When somebody walks up and starts to gossip about somebody else, you, you, are you going to jump in and say, yeah, let's play that string? No, you pull it back and say, no, no, I'm not doing that. When you're angered by somebody and the enemy says, you know, they, they should have never done that. You know, you don't deserve that. You're better than that. They, they're not very nice. For, you know, get, get your posse together. And no, you say, no, I'm not going to give you that string. You're not going to let you play that. Don't give them the strings to play. See, what, what Paul's saying, and it's really important for us to grasp this. He says, there's, there's an evil within me. The Bible says that we, can, we have the capacity, any person has a capacity to do horrible things if we're not careful. There's an evil outside of me. You know, you may have been raised in a bad, in a bad home and in a bad environment, and that absolutely has an effect on you. But there's an evil above me, around me. Paul says there's spiritual forces that are agitating these, that are bringing the worst out, that are trying to destroy. They want to destroy everything that God is trying to build up. They want to mess up everything that God is doing good in your life. The enemy wants you to live a powerless, frustrated, fear-filled, angry, and ineffective life. So what do we do? Well, that's the third point. We need to prepare for battle. And that's essentially what Paul's saying. Uh, you know, don't be, don't be a fool. Don't be a sitting duck. Don't, just, don't deny it, the reality of the spiritual battle. And don't become obsessed with it. But be prepared for it. And see beyond what's going on in the physical world. That there's a spiritual energizing behind this. Look at the arguments that you see this week. And you'll see that there's, a, there's something going on. That is throwing gas on the fire making it worse. And that's what Paul's saying. This is, there's a corporate and a personal spiritual force that is causing, that is encouraging this type of behavior. So what do we do? We prepare for battle. If you're not prepared for battle, you are a sitting duck. And too, Christ, too many Christians are sitting in the middle of a battlefield and they're going, I don't understand why I'm under attack here all the time. <laughs> so how are we to prepare for a spiritual battle? Well, he tells us. He says, first, you need to put on the belt of truth. You know, when uh, in those days, when you suited up, you put on armor, right? And so you put on the belt of truth. Well, what's the belt of truth? Well, the belt was used in that day. You know, the old King James, I love the phrase, it says, gird up your loins, you know? And what that just meant was they would have these robes and you can't really run in them and they get caught and you trip over them. And certainly in a battle when you're wielding a sword and you're fighting somebody, you really don't want to trip and fall because you're dead, you know? So what you would do is you would gather up your robes, you would snitch, cinch your belt tight, and it would, it would get out of the way. And what Paul's saying is you need to know what the ultimate truth is in your life. You can't go into battle and say, well, I wonder what's right and wrong. I wonder what's true. And I wonder, you have to have that solid foundation. And the question is, people are going all over the place for truth today. And Jesus basically said, thy word is truth. You have to, you just have to establish that. Is God's word your final authority, your final truth? 
Because if you don't have that foundation to stand on, you're going to lose every battle. Think of Jesus when he was tempted, right? He's in the wilderness. And, and, and what did he say? The, the enemy would come with a temptation and Jesus would say, it is written. It is written. It is written. That, that's standing on the truth. Okay? Uh, here's the second one, the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate was something that would cover your vital organs. If you got nicked in the arm or the leg, uh, you could live and you could still probably fight. But if you got a sword in the heart, you're dead. You're done. You're gone. You're, you know, game over. So what is this breastplate of righteousness? Well, here's what's going on. Many people are, are out there. If you were to do a survey of most Americans today who say they believe in God, they would say, um, I'm not a bad person. I'm not as where I should be, but I have this kind of righteousness of my own. Because if you were to say, if you were to die today, would you go to be with God in heaven? They would say, most people would say, yeah, I hope so, or I think so. And I, I've met very few people when I've asked them that question say, no, there's no chance in the world. I wish it were so, but it's, I've, ne- I've virtually never had it. What I have heard is, I hope so. I think so. Oh yeah, I am. And then the second question is, if God were standing at the gate of heaven and he were to say, why should I let you in? What would you say? And nine times out of 10, 95 times out of 100, most of the time people would say this. Well, I go to church, I believe in God. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to, and what, what are they doing? They're putting on the breastplate of righteousness, but it's their own righteousness. And here's what the adversary, the Satan does. The Satan loves to accuse you and to call you out about your sins. You know, one of the most powerful things you can do to people in the world that don't get us and don't get Christian, Christians and Christianity is you can acknowledge that you're a sinner. You know what the enemy did? The enemy comes to you and says, you did this, you did this, you're a sinner, you're no good. And you go, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. You got me. <laughs> you're absolutely correct. That's who I am. I'm a sinner. And I'm not relying on my righteousness. I'm relying on his righteousness. And that's the difference. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for you so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. You see what he's saying there? He's saying don't rely on your own righteousness. Rely on the righteousness of Christ. That when the enemy, the accuser, comes to you and says, you're a sinner, you're a failure, you, you say, absolutely, guilty is... Guilty is charged, but I have the righteousness of Christ on my behalf. And you say that to people, you say, you know, you, you blow it, you sin, you, you do wrong. You say, you're right, you're absolutely right. Because what do they think? What does the world think? What do people outside the church, outside of Christianity think? They think we're trying to get to heaven because we're good enough, we're righteous enough. What they need to hear is, I'm not righteousness, uh, righteous enough, I'll never be righteous enough. I'm not counting on my own righteousness, I'm counting on his righteousness on my behalf. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Let's talk about the sandals uh, of the gospel of peace. You know, in the battle, you need shoes that grip, shoes that can, can hold tight, and shoes that will uh, be light so you can move around, right? And the gospel of peace helps us not to lose heart um, because we know the victory has already been won. Um, 
Paul writes this interesting passage in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that it far outweighs them all. Now, let me, let me just stop for a minute. Let's just say, because we have the Big Ten tournament, we have a lot of the, the college basketball this weekend, that's, uh, and, and uh in, let's just say that you're in one of these championship games that is going to be played today, and your team is down with five minutes to go. You're down by 15 points. And here's what you see oftentimes in these games. You'll see one team that is down, and when they, their heads go down and they begin to lose hope, it's contagious, right? And you, you've seen it, right? You've seen sporting events where all of a sudden it's like the air goes out of one of the teams. You go, oh, this is it. They've given, they're, they're giving up. They've lost hope, right? Now, let's say you're a player on the team that's down by 15 with five minutes to go, and you see all your teammates going, like, this is over. And, but yet, here's what you've been able to do. You were able to go ahead in time, and you were able to see you came back and won in overtime by two. Now, you can't explain that to everyone around you, right? But you know that. You know you're going to win the game. And you have, come on, guys, we can do this. It's all right. And they're looking at you like, what are you, nuts? You mind? We're down by 15. We've got five minutes to go. We can't make a bucket. We can't stop them. How are we going to win this game? And you go, well, I can't tell you now, but trust me, right? Well, what's Paul saying here? He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Paul, is, you know, by the way, Paul's light and momentary troubles are shipwrecked a number of times, left for dead on the side of the road, beaten up, uh, you know, just, just abused. I mean, the list is like, if one of those things happened, I'd be a wreck for the rest of my life. He has all these things going on. He says, that's light and momentary. We win! Genesis, uh, Revelation, you read the book of Revelation, he says there'll be no, a new heaven and new earth. Satan's going to be cast into the lake of fire. This is what he's talking about. This is why he holds his head up even when life is pushing down. The last thing the enemy wants is for you to have your head up, to walk as a son and daughter of God with the righteousness of Christ. And you just basically say to the enemy, scoreboard. Scoreboard. Look at the scoreboard. Bring me your worst. Look at the scoreboard. All right, shield of faith. So this is probably a large shield. It's probably four feet up and down and probably two and a half feet wide. And it was often soaked in water so that when the enemy would fire arrows with flames, they would go out, you know, and harm you and stuff. And they go, you know, gone, you know. And so he says, put that, put that up. Because God has allowed the enemy to send trials and trouble and suffering. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. That's why I don't understand why Christians are so confused by this. They go, I don't know why I'm going through this and God is allowing me to go through this. It's because you're in a fallen world and Jesus said it was going to happen and it happened to him and every one of his disciples have followed him. You're part of that, so this is going to happen to you. This is standard operating procedure. It's not an exception to the rule. Don't be surprised by it. That's the point. Here's what I found, and I've, I've talked to our staff over the years. I said, prepare, prepare for those times 
when we have a victory or we're moving towards a victory. What we have found that the times we as a church community have made strides and really move forward, what will end up happening is the enemy he can't take the victory away, but he tries to take the joy of the victory away. Have you had that happen in your life where you've made progress, 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 and then all of a sudden things come in. The enemy brings these the bad news, the prickly little stupid things, and he wants you to get down and discourage. What is he doing there? He can't take the victory, but he's trying to take your joy. I always remind the, I always remind the, the staff, okay, after we've had this moment, this significant spiritual moment. I always tell them the week after, prepare for it because the enemy is going to come and want to steal your joy. It may be something happens in your personal life or something, but he just wants you to get, he wants you to get, he can't steal the victory, but he can try to steal the joy from your life. Don't let him do that. How about the helmet of salvation? Well, salvation is seen from the past. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy can come and condemn you all day long, but you just say, basically say, uh, it's his righteousness. Look at the cross. Look, look at the resurrection. Uh, presently, uh, the Bible talks about our present salvation. In Philippians 2, it says we are to work out our own salvation. It's something we're working on day, at, day in and day out. It's a process, but there's a future salvation that one day we will be set free from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. How about the sword of the Spirit? This is the only piece of armor that we have that is offensive. I mean, it, it, you basically, we can, we, can, we can block the blows of the enemy with it, but it's meant to bring pain on the enemy. It's, it's meant to fight back. And, and that's classic Matthew 4, where, where Jesus is taken into the wilderness by the Spirit, led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God for this temptation, for this battle. And Jesus fights with the Word of God. He uses the Word of God. He fights with the Word of God. And here's what I found. There's so many Christians that are not very, you know, the, if you know you're in a battle and you know battles are coming, it would make sense that you know how to use the sword. The sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. Do you know the Word of God enough to use it? Jesus, when he was tempted by the enemy, the enemy said, you know, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms. And Jesus said, it is written. What's he doing? He's pulling his sword up saying, Psh. do you know the word of God? Are, are you using, you, you can't begin to practice using the word of God when you're in the middle of the battle. You need to pick it up now and get good with it now. Pick it up now. Trust it now. Get good with it now because the enemy is coming. And the enemy is going to use whatever works for you. What works for you may not work for me, but he's going to find something that works for you and he wants to get you down and discouraged. He wants you to be disappointed. He wants you to walk with your head down. He wants you to get angry and, and get upset and blow up at people. That's what he wants. Let me give you these last words from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world, the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know what this says? By the way, I doubt that Satan is personally attacking anyone in this room. 
he's, again, not omnipresent. There are demons and there are powers that affect us all, right? But here's the thing. What Paul says is very interesting. There is a battle being fought, but here's the thing. It's not just you. You may feel like you're the only one fighting this battle. What he, Peter says here, you have other brothers and sisters all around the world that are fighting the same battle as you. But the battle's been won. Because on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And Jesus walked out of the tomb. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks at Easter. He walked out of the tomb and he conquered sin and death and the devil. That's the hope that we have. Stand with me. Let's pray as we go. Father, as we have gathered together in this place with your presence with us, because your presence dwells within us, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, as we, your church, leave this place, you go with us. And we have an enemy that wants to keep us down and destroy us and discourage us. Father, help us not to give the enemy any strings in our life to play. Help us to be aware of the battle. Help us to be preparing ourselves with the word of God. And Father, help us to get the victories this week. We need your help. We need your spirit. Help us to keep in step with your spirit, Father, and we will be able to ward off the attacks of the enemy. We need it, Father. We pray for it. We love you, and we thank you that you go with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.